0: Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always,
1: I'm Sean Baker,
0: and today's topic is the 2011 film, The Gray. So, this film takes place at an Alaskan, uh, they're they're getting petroleum, aren't they?
1: Yeah, it's a a large petroleum plant, looks like it might be a... uh, uh, depository for um, uh, petroleum that's being pulled out of the earth in Alaska. It's the first stop before they go to a refinery. Yes,
0: and it's, from what I gather, it's not a permanent job as, as you're staying there the whole time. You do it for a certain amount of months, And then your tour or whatever is up, and then you can go back home. Right. And so we follow this group just as the end of the tour, and they're about to go on a plane ride. And the main character is Otway, played by Liam Neeson. And he is the guy that's basically a hunter. He's there when they're going, because a lot of times when they're working on the pipes or something, they're kind of going out in the field and out close to the wilderness. There might be wolves nearby, and he's the one that looks over them. Make sure if there's a wolf nearby, he has to take the wolf out. We see that very early on in the movie. Yes, and as they're they're going on the plane ride home, their tour is over. They encounter turbulence and their plane crashes. handful of them survive, and they're way out in the middle of nowhere, far from civilization in the wilderness, and they have to find their way back home or find their way to civilization. But while they're doing that, not only do they have to deal with the obstacles of nature, there is a pack of Canadian gray wolves that are hunting them because they are in their territory. So they view them as a threat. The wolves need to take them out. So that's pretty much the movie, and... Well, I've seen movies that as far as content matter that are more violent or more graphic that maybe deal with more disturbing st- elements. But this is definitely like one of the more bleaker movies I think you'll ever see because it's just it has this over sense of dread throughout. Like, Because yes. you just feel like there's just no way these guys are going to get out alive. And yeah. the movie says there's no hope for them. Yeah. It's it's very it's if you read Roger Ebert's review of it. He said he was so depressed and affected watching this movie because he had a list and he's got to watch other movies. The film he watched after that, he couldn't finish because he was so profoundly affected by watching The Grey. Yes. He just said I I couldn't get out of the depression and everything I felt watching that movie to really give it a good focus for this next movie I was
1: watching. Yeah, it's it's a powerful movie and um it's 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 kind of funny because it's it, I found as I was watching it uh, that it's a it's a meditation on what's called in the philosophy of religion the problem of evil which is probably more accurately described as the problem of pain and suffering and it it makes a point that's often made in that uh, in in uh, philosophical and theological discussions on that topic that Um, nature is to use uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson's phraseology, uh, red in tooth and claw, right? And we quite literally see that with this pack of wolves that are tracking down this group of men and picking them off one at a time as predators do, right? Uh, And little do these men know that as they're attempting to escape these, uh, this pack of wolves and find their way back somehow to civilization, which we have no, we, we see there's really very little chance they're going to do this because they are out in the worst time at the worst time of year. Uh, they're leaving because winter is setting in and you can't work up there in the winter. So this uh, plane crashes, uh, in, you know, uh, s- terribly snowbound, uh, middle of nowhere, Alaska, and they're trying to make their way back out of there. And you can kind of see that they're not going to, probably not going to make it. And they are picked off one at a time. You see Liam Neeson's character, Otway, at, at a, a few points in the story, talking to God. He, at one point, he says, uh, 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 as he's trying to save um Pete Henrik from drowning. And, and the sad thing is Pete Henrik's face is only a few inches from the surface of the water, but he, his foot has, has been caught on a rock and he can't get out, right? And, and you see him, Jesus, please don't do this, right? And there's another scene uh, where you see him subtly looking up at the sky and saying, what to do now, right? And Then they have a a very interesting discussion around the campfire there, all of the men, um, where one of them is uh, clearly atheist and says, you know, don't give me that fairy tale. Do not give me that fairy tale. And Otway uh, uh, says he's also atheist, but he wishes he couldn't be. And it, it, it raises the question, why does he think this? And it's not just because of this particular episode. We we see flashes throughout the film that he has endured the loss of his wife. I believe it is his wife. Yeah, to cancer. To cancer. So he has suffered, uh, and and this is a common occurrence with people that have dealt with a great deal of tragedy in their lives. He's suffered. uh, He's reached some critical point in in the suffering that he's endured to where he no longer finds. uh, uh, theism, at least in the guise of Christian theism, tenable. He wants to believe it. He wants to believe that God will help them get out of this, but he 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 knows he can't. And the primary reason here, when when you ask people that go through this, is that there is they've just there's just too much pain, suffering, or indifference on the part of other people maybe, but not in this case, because they're just out in nature um, for them to hold on to that belief anymore. It's just not tenable, given that amount of suffering and the alleged ability of God, who's supposed to be omniscient, omnibenevolent, and uh, all-powerful, to be able to somehow or another get them out of the situation.
0: One of the analysis of this film... Um, is that the movie is considered atheist because, you know, you have these people, one of them them is on the side of theism. Uh, I forget the character's name, but he's played by Dermot Mulroney. Mm -hmm. And he says, we've survived a plane crash. There has to be a purpose for that. Yes. And, but you said Diaz is, you know, he's completely against that. He's considered even more the outsider, but you have Otway, who is like, the leader of the group, and he's more level-headed, and they look up to him, but he's even agreeing with Diaz. Yes. And even the scene after the death of Henrik's, who, you know, he couldn't save from drowning, he yells at God, give me something. If you give me something, I'll believe you for the rest of my life. Yeah. And at the end, he doesn't. So I think, is this film, you think... Atheist, is it showing the absence of God? or I, I
1: think the answer there is probably uh, yes and no, which is not going to be tremendously helpful. You have uh, clearly the, the, uh, the, the voicing of the atheistic point of view from uh, both of those two characters, but you can see that Otway is not entirely atheistic. He's, after all, still talking to God. Um, now, the reason I would say no to that question is that there, it, it's very much in the tradition of those uh, faith systems to question God and even get so far as questioning his own ex- his existence. Um, you can see that in the in the Old Testament story of Job, um, which is a, kind of an interesting story. In that, uh, and I'm no Bible expert, but uh, Admiral Stockdale uh, wrote a book, um, wrote several books, but he he wrote one essay where he discusses uh, the story of Job. And um, as you know, the story of Job is he's a very well-to-do and successful man, very much honored by his community. Uh, God and Satan are talking about him, and and Satan says to God, look, the only reason he's such a moral, upright man and a, a good man is because you're showering him with benefits and so forth. You make it easy for him. I dare you to make it hard for him. Let's see how he responds. So, God does that. He takes away his reputation. He takes away his family. He even gives him horrible disease. He's he's in a terrible way. He argues with God. He is angry, and it uh, never n- never quite uh, gets to the point where he doesn't believe he exists. But you can see this rebellion and justifiable anger. You'd say, uh, nevertheless, at the end, all of this, all of these things are restored to him. So there's a happy ending to the Job story, and according to what Admiral Stockdale says, there are some people who are experts on the Old Testament and the languages used to write it that say um, it might perhaps be the case that the latter portion of that story was tacked on later, and the original version of the story did not have that happy ending. This film is like the, <laughs> that original version of the story. It does not have that happy ending. And it does uh, make you ask that question at the end there, uh, whether or not um, Otway retained his faith or lost it, right? I mean, it's left a little ambiguous. Yeah. What's kind of interesting, though, is uh, if you hadn't told me to do this, I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, if you stick with... With the entire film and quite literally get to the end of the film, there is not quite a happy ending, but it's an interestingly ambiguous ending.
0: Yeah, it's so this will reveal if you stick through the so that what looks like the end of the movie, he gets angry at God. He, you know, he says, show me a sign. Then he goes through all the wallets they've been collecting of all the people and he has more flashbacks about his wife. Yeah, he starts crying and then he looks around he sees all these bones around, all the wolves, and he realizes he's just stumbled into their den. Yes. And he's going to finally have it out with him. And he's, you know, taping the leftover mini, mini alcohol bottles from the tray and the airplane. And right. And he's tying them together, making them look like knives, basically. Yeah. And he's getting ready to fight the alpha wolf. And the other wolves are backing off. Yes. It's just him and the alpha wolf. Yes. And he's reminding of the poem his father wrote and you know once more into the fray live and die on this day and we see the wolf pounce on him and then it cuts to the credits but if you stick through all the credits at the very end the wolf is looks like it's dead it's breathing but it's lying on its back and then you know liam neeson doesn't look quite dead he's he looks exhausted but looks like he's killed the alpha wolf yeah and then that's it it's just it's only like five ten seconds at most yeah it's very quick
1: and I must say that when he, uh, when he, before the credits run, that scene where uh, he's preparing himself, he's, he's taped this these glass shards to one hand and a dagger that they happen to have mm-hmm. to the other. It's not the wolf that jumps at him. If you look at it. It's Liam Neeson jumping at the wolf. So Yeah, and if you if you if you were left at that part part of the film, you, you would miss this ending where the wolf was laying prone as the wolf earlier in the film yeah, that he had he killed yeah. was laying prone. He felt you could tell he felt empathy for that wolf because he puts his hand on it as it's breathing its last breaths and you see its chest going up and down, breathing its last breaths, and you hear the gasping and so forth. Something like that's happening in the last film or the last scene, too. Except his head is resting upon the prone animal, and a uh, very powerful scene, almost a happy ending, you know. Um, but well, it's, even it, if he, even
0: if like we take it the most positive way, he's killed the alpha wolf, which yeah. means let's say the other wolves leave him alone now, yeah, they just let him go. He's still out in the middle of nowhere. There still aren't much signs of civilization, yeah. and he's now completely on his own and wounded. Yep. So, so his his chances are still, still slim, bleak. So yeah. It may um, it's a little bit easier, but I don't think it's going to be.
1: And it raises an interesting question. You bring up
0: it, it, it's it's was very God sign though.
1: It's odd that all of the other wolves back off and let them fight. It's odd that after that fight, the other wolves aren't there, even in that brief five-second, five-to-ten-second scene. That made me think that the wolf is symbolic of, uh, or a personification of God. And it brought to mind a story from uh, 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 again, the Old Testament, where uh, Jacob wrestles God. And it's it's kind of interesting. Um, the The wolf is an alpha male, right? Liam Neeson's character is clearly the leader, an analog of that alpha male. And this strangely unnatural behavior of that entire wolf pack indicates that that wolf is (laughs) highly unusual, to say the least, and perhaps, like I said, symbolic of God, and if that is the case, what is the message? Is, is, is it the case that the, uh, um, God intends for us to wrestle with him, intends with us to contend with pain, suffering, evil we do, evil that others do to us, catastrophes, disease? Is the world not intended to be an easy place? And is it the case that he uh, arranges it in such a way That at least some of us don't come out with happy endings. That's a great question. Because if you look at nature, it is, to use Tennyson's phrase again, uh, red and tooth and claw. There is a lot of pain and suffering in the world. And in fact, you make a living as an organic being by death. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? And the wolves clearly do that. Um, All of that has to be accounted for. If... Uh, if you believe God created the world, you have to ask the question, why did he create such a bloody world?
0: And you talked about interesting how you know the alpha male takes on Liam Neeson, who was the alpha male of the survivors. I noticed watching this film the second time, because I'd seen this quite a few years earlier, I did notice there's a lot of mirroring between the wolf pack and the survivor pack. Like we see early on that we hear fighting in the back between the wolves, and Neeson says... You know, the alpha wolf is being challenged and he just won. Yes. And then just a hand like right after that scene, Diaz, who's sort of yes who's the outcast, nobody really likes him, he's constantly, you know, complaining. He and Neeson get into a fight. Yeah. And he and he's challenging Neeson, literally, he's challenging him just like the alpha male is being challenged. Yes. And Neeson went. Neeson wins. And right after that scene, a wolf is being sent to attack the camp. And he's attacking Diaz. Singles him out. Yes, Diaz wins and kills him. But that wolf was considered to be the outcast of that group, just as Diaz was the outcast of that group. But then you have the alpha males fighting at the end. So I noticed a lot of mirroring. Yes, and that's wolves. I I
1: noticed it too. It's entirely intentional, I think. Yeah, and I know when I was watching that fight scene between Diaz and the, they called it the Omega. So that's like the, the bottom wolf on the. Pecking order, the totem pole in the pack. I, I, I know I was thinking to myself at that time, boy, if that's the Omega, I hate to see the Alpha. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because uh, uh, that was a vicious attack, right? And um, you see Diaz react very strongly to it after, after his success in killing it. And the, the, the group decides they have to cook it and eat it to survive. So they do. Well, then he decides he's going to decapitate the wolf and and show his uh anger contempt uh uh, at the wolf pack by uh, uh taking that head and throwing it toward where he believes they are and it's interesting that when he does that the other men respond pretty viscerally to it saying you know don't do this this is this is wrong interesting reaction i would think um Given, given the dire circumstances they're in, um, they haven't. They have most of the group has not been reduced to that level of um, animalism. Mm-hmm. You know, they still have that that modicum of uh, humanity about them.
0: Yeah, and I think with, when you analyze the survivors, it's all about. Some people said that the way they meet their death is through their fears, like. Diaz's fear... Well, he, his fear was just having fear. You know, he's constantly complaining, angry. But it's... You know, Neeson says it's because you're afraid. And if you're not afraid, then you're stupid. Yeah. And that's what leads to the fight. And I think at the very end, because they have this big harrowing thing where they have to... They're stuck basically on a cliff and they have to get to the other side. So they have to string this rope along to the tree trees nearby... He gets off the he falls off the tree and breaks his ankle, and he just says like, "I'm done. I can't do this anymore." And he just he he finally is saying it's he's accepting his fear, but just saying I, I'm no uh, fear of death, but now he's no longer afraid of dying, and he just sits there and he and he's he's saying I'm not afraid and I'm not afraid, and right before the scene cuts, you hear a growl of a wolf. Yeah,
1: yeah. And How- then
0: the other guy, I noticed. Um, Who's who? who Lost, you know. He lost one of his fingers in the battle with the wolf, and he's climbing along the tree, and he falls down. And his thing was, he was afraid of heights. You know, yes, that's why it took him so long because he was afraid of heights.
1: Yes, and he loses his glasses too, which I think kind of displays another theme in this movie is how fragile our control over our own lives are as human beings. Once. Technology and the benefits of technology—the insulating uh, characteristics of technology—are taking taken away from us. He starts to panic as as he's trying to climb that rope across to that tree when he loses his glasses. Uh, And you you see the same sort of thing happening as slowly but surely uh, they're using up what little remnants of technology were available to them in the crash. Um, as they, as they uh, move farther and farther into the into the trek,
0: yeah, I think they was the thing they found like a GPS system, uh, some something?
1: sort of a primitive GPS uh, watch, but it's only good at forty thousand, up to forty thousand yeah, feet. the whole feet. thing is
0: practically useless throughout the entire. Yes, film.
1: and they're they're reliant on lighters to light their fires, right? And Neeson has the foresight to fill a uh, thermos with. Uh, fuel from he punctures a a fuel tank on the wing of the crashed plane he has uh, foresight enough to um, save some of that in that uh, thermos to be able so they can light fires as they go and you know uh, in the end the about the only technology they have left available to them is probably what mankind invented first in terms of uh uh, technology that had a profound influence on his on his uh, development, fire, and that's all they have holding off the wolves is the fire, and it's not always successful.
0: Yeah, and talking more about the wolves, that was there was a controversy somewhat with this movie, mainly among animal rights activists and particularly wolves, you know, wolf rights activists, I guess you would say, but groups for the yeah ethical treatment of wolves uh, these these are canadian gray wolves that were depicted in the movie and they said these are they're not as vicious and they would they said if something like this happened more or less they would leave them be or not be as confrontational and ready to pick them off one by one and i my opinion is that's not really the point. This movie is not really trying to give you an accurate description of what Canadian gray wolves are like in a plane crash situation. That's not really the point of the movie. Like we said, they're they're meant to be symbolic, represent yeah. either the impending death or the presence of God or the lack of God. Yeah, it's not really meant to be accurate.
1: No, and you know, like you say, I think they just miss the point. Um, there there's a certain elemental. Uh, I think the big theme with this film and what makes it work is one that also made Jaws work, despite the fact that a lot of people complained about how it portrayed great white sharks. Uh, It is this confrontation with the elemental that we as uh, uh, human beings that are essentially uh, one of our defining characteristics is being able to insulate ourselves to some extent from the elemental. We build shelters. (laughs) <laughs> so that we don't have to live out in the elements, for instance. And, uh, you know, we get a, we certainly derive a lot of benefits from that, but it, it leaves us ill-equipped for uh, situations such as we see in this film. And I think that's another thematic element here, um, that confrontation with the elemental. Um, and it's related, I think, quite closely to that first question of, the exact relationship that exists between God and that elemental uh, over which we have very little control when it, when push comes to shove.
0: Yeah, and not only there was the, the criticism from the d- d- depiction of the Canadian Grey Wolves, but overall audiences alike, for just audiences and whether they just enjoyed it or not, wasn't very strong. Critically... If you look, it's got mostly positive reviews. I mean, Ebert, in his review I mentioned earlier, said he liked it. Other critics put it in their top ten of the year list. But if you look at audiences, there was a divide. And I th- think the biggest problem is is because of the star. This is Liam Neeson. And if you know anything about Liam Neeson, particularly these last 12 years, he's been playing constantly the role of old man action hero. It started with Taken. And he's just constantly—he does a lot of that. And in the movie, you're, you see the trailers, and it's like, oh, Liam Neeson in a survival flick, and he's got to punch wolves in the last fight. He's, you know, getting ready to, you know, have these have it out with a beer bottle and taking on this alpha alpha wolf. And I think there's a bit of messing with the audience and not marketing them to the right way because because of the main star. And I think that's a shame because. Yeah. I do think they're missing out if they just wanted to see you know, Liam Neeson punch animals.
1: Yeah, and you know you can tell it's pretty clearly the intent of the uh, the writer's director here uh, was to have something thematically more meaty than just a simple action adventure film. And I know that at least part of their marketing, interestingly enough, did go or was uh, uh, focused upon Christian groups hmm. because of this because of this. Uh, exploration of the problem of pain and suffering in the world they so it was more or less consciously um you know in in, uh, not only a feature of the script but i think it was done in a way that is respectful of those traditions you know they're very much aware i think of that uh particularly judeo-christian tradition of questioning god becoming angry with god and you, you see that in a lot of literature. Ellie uh, Wiesel, for instance, wrote a, a classic um, play where um, Jews that have just recently survived a terrible pogrom that had killed most everybody um, put on a Purim play that puts God on trial for exactly those sorts of things. And um, he apparently based that upon something he actually saw happen in Auschwitz in, in one of the buildings. The men in that building put God on trial. For that reason, this is a long. This is, like I said, it's a it's a long-standing tradition in religious traditions. It's very interesting that despite this quite proper questioning and quite proper anger, the faith nevertheless remains.
0: Yes, and the other character we talk we've. Not talked about too much, but the one who would say is theistic was the, I forget his name, but he's played by Dermot Mulroney. I forgot to mention, as they're about to leave the crash site, because they realize they can't stay there any longer, they have to move on and find some, some, get close to civilization. He sees the bodies of the people that did not survive the crash, and he says, "We need to say something. We have to, you know, give, you know, say our say prayers, give some remembrance to the dead." Yeah. And other people are like, "Do we need to?" Diaz, particularly, because he's the most strongly atheistic, but he's still the one that's saying we have to do something because, you know, this is right.
1: Yeah, and part of that, we also see that that kind of uh, core decency in these these uh, human beings. Um, in that they, uh, they carefully collect all the wallets mm-hmm. of all the deceased, uh, e- either the ones that died in the crash or the ones that die along the way. And I think this is the case. I'd have to look at the film again, but it's interesting that in that, uh, final, before that final fight between the two alpha males, um, Neeson is arranging all of those wallets in a kind of, uh, memorial to all mm-hmm. those people. It looks like it's in the form of a cross.
0: I'll have to look at that again. Yeah, it's I, it a little subtle. Like a bit subtle. Like a circle, but I'll, I it, it, It's a little it subtle.
1: It looks like it's a, in the form of a cross. So if that's the case, it looks like Neeson has, uh, if not completely recovered his faith, at least in some way or another has... Uh, made amends with God through this which is very interesting
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies you can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu this program is hosted by Radio Stockdale there you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and the Do-Over if you like this podcast you might be interested in my other podcast Real Sounds, Each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks That can be found online at soundofcinema.automatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Sing so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.